Hello, this is Jessica Weischeck, Auditorium and Exhibits Coordinator for the David A. Howe Public Library. Tonight, we have a special audio drama presented by the Valley Theater as part of the 2021 Summer Reading Program, Tales and Tales. When a man inherits a home from his great aunt, the family goes to see the old place only to find that things aren't what they seem. Sit back and enjoy the tale of Aunt Velma's House of Horrors. Dad, can you hurry up? I can't wait any longer. I'm trying. The key doesn't seem to fit. Why do we have to park way back in the road? Well, it's so muddy, I thought we might get stuck in the driveway. Speaking of stuck, this key won't budge. Maybe it's open? I doubt very much that they would leave it unlocked. That would be incredibly... Oh. Gee, what do you know? Okay. Finally! Now, where's the bathroom? I told you, I don't even think the water's on here. Well, the lights work. Still, maybe you ought to just run out back and go in the bushes. Really? Are you insane? He's not going to go in the bushes, honestly. Fine. Go ahead and use the ghost toilet in this dilapidated old claptrap. Try not to touch anything. Okay! Well, this is both better and worse than I thought. Yeah, well, let's give it a chance. Must be nice for you to see the old place again. Yeah, it is. Is it bringing a lot of old memories? No, it's not. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't know. I haven't been here since I was younger than Benny. Well, he would definitely remember a place like that. That velvet painting alone. I know, it's weird. Maybe it's just my perspective, but I remember these really high ceilings and big windows. You were a lot smaller. Yeah, you're right. I did always love coming here, though I have no idea why she left it to me. Well, maybe she thought you'd appreciate it more than the others. You always said she was your favorite aunt. Great aunt, but yes, she was always doing crazy things that drove my parents nuts. Like one time, I had a cold and she made me a hot toddy, which turned out to be just warm whiskey. Oh my gosh! You have to add the lemon. Well, apparently I spent the rest of the night singing show tunes before falling asleep in the bathtub, fully clothed. Did it at least cure the cold? Sure did. I woke up 18 hours later with a raging headache, but my sniffles were gone. Well, you can't argue with results. I'm really seeing a different side of you here. It's all this country air. Oh, is that it? Well, there is plenty of room outside for Benny to roam free. Speaking of... Benny, I hope you're not touching anything. Oh, I guarantee you if there's something he hasn't touched, it's because he can't reach it. Hey, how often do you have to get a tetanus shot? We'll find out. So, what do you think? Of this murder mansion? I don't know. I mean, it's not every day you wake up owning a house, so it's at least worth considering. I wouldn't mind living out in the country. Of course, we'd have to find a new home for the old lighthouse keeper who haunts this place before we move in. Mm. It's really not that bad. Yeah, you're right. Chegg carpet really locks in those aromas, doesn't it? I don't like that pause. No. I'll go check it out. You start exploring. Well, let's see. I remember a big sunroom where we would play board games from World War II. Maybe it's this door. What? Hey, Dad. Mom says I have to tell you that I broke a porcelain frog, but I think we can... Ah! What, what, what? What's wrong? Oh, this is... The largest wig collection in Western New York, apparently. Cool. Why were you screaming? I thought her dad was standing in a roof all heads. That's chilling. So I guess Aunt Velma was a wig enthusiast. I guess, though that makes exactly no sense. She's allowed to have a wild side. Oh, sure, but she had the same granny bob cut for as long as I'd known her. You were young. Maybe you just didn't notice? Yes, Aunt Velma came to Thanksgiving in a jet black Cleopatra wig, and I didn't find it noteworthy. Can I try one on? Well, one, you're already wearing one, and two, no, you may not. Can I just try on the blue one? No. I have my eye on the blue one. What do you think, Peter? I think this place is starting to give me the creeps. Maybe we ought to just head back to the hotel. 
No, we haven't seen the upstairs yet. He's right. We're here. We should see the whole house. All right, all right. Actually, there was a window seat I always used to play in. I, I wonder where that was. What's down here? Slow down. No, go ahead. I'm going to do some searching out here. Dibs on any hummels you find. Mom, I found something. Coming. Oh, this looks like a nice little den. Uh, what's a den? It's like a cross between a bedroom and a living room. What do you use it for? No one knows. Oh. <laughs> ah! Are these animals real? Oh, uh, yes. Well, they were. They're all stuffed. Stuffed? Ugh. Why are there so many? Yes, that is concerning. I feel like those little marble eyes are looking deep into my soul. What? What? Nothing. Peter! Yeah? Come down here. What are you doing? I'm in the kitchen. It's completely different than I remember. Either Aunt Velma did a floor-to-ceiling remodel or... Come see this fireplace. This house doesn't have a fireplace. What the... Oh, what is this? Welcome to Aunt Velma's Menagerie of Death. Complete with fireplace. Wow. They are eerily still, except that badger. Ah! <laughs> what are you doing? Shaving years off your life, Father. Yeah, very funny. Put it down, please, and stop touching things. You were saying about the fireplace? Well, what do you know? I could have sworn there wasn't one. It was always so drafty. And you're sure this is where you came as a child? I'm sure less with each passing moment. It's a shame what time does to people your age. Yeah, that's old. <laughs> All right, yeah, I think we've seen enough. Oh, don't be such a curmudgeon. Fine. We'll stay a little longer, but can we at least get out of this room? Yes. I do love that fireplace, though. Those animals go first thing. Shh, you'll anger them. Boo! Oh, oh God. God. <sighs> Where's the upstairs? No running! Something about this place seems off to me. Oh, really? I wouldn't change a thing. No, it's just not like I remember it. And you're sure we're at the right... Hurry up, you guys! Fine. Upstairs it is. Who knows? Maybe more childhood illusions will be shattered for me. You're being dramatic. No, let's do it. Either we'll find a room full of porcelain dolls or face the banshee who guards the guest bedroom. What's a banshee? Like Grandma. Leave my mother out of this. Sorry, darling. How do we get upstairs? Uh, over here, I think. This is a closet. It's been a long time. Uh, try that one. There you are! So are we going to, like, uh, live here? No. Maybe. Huh. There sure are a lot of Grateful Dead posters in this hallway. Was Aunt Velma a deadhead? Apparently so. This is just a boring old bedroom. Benny, was this your aunt's room? It must have been. I don't know. From your stories, I didn't picture her as the lava lamp type. And what exactly is the lava lamp type? I think you know. Dad, is this you when you were little? Oh, let me see. No. I don't know who this is, actually. What about this one? No, not a clue. Peter, I don't recognize any of the people in these pictures, do you? I do not. Can I see that note from the lawyer? Sure. This says 9279 Napoleon Drive. And? Well, aren't we at 9729 Napoleon Drive? I don't know. I just foolishly assumed you knew the way. Benny, did you happen to notice the number when you were messing with that old milk jug mailbox? Uh, 97-something? Hey, I found a bunch of old comic books here. Can I read them? Comic books? May? Peter, 
please don't tell me you've inadvertently turned us into cat burglars again. I apologize for that. I bet they'd know if this is Aunt Velma's house. Who's they? I see headlights coming up in the driveway. What? Oh, that's it. We're going to jail. Peter, what are we going to do? We're going to run. That's what we're going to do. Does this place have a back door? Oh, gee, I don't know, May, because apparently I've never been here before. Honestly! And unless you want to have an ugly confrontation with the wig-wearing deadhead taxidermist who owns this haunted house, I suggest we run for it. So are we like fugitives now? You don't even know what that means. No, I don't, but I think I saw a door in that dead animal room. Oh, anywhere but there. I just heard the car door slam. It's now or never. Run for it! There's the door. Wait! Why? I never went to the bathroom. Betty! Betty. Hello? Thanks for listening to this audio drama from the Valley Theater. Now please enjoy a rebroadcast of last year's radio play, Dragnet the Big Small. Today's episode was written by John Robinson with music by Walter Schumann. It originally aired on January 11th, 1953 with Jack Webb as the legendary Joe Friday and Ben Alexander as his partner Frank Smith. In our recreation of that episode, Michael Blinkenship is Joe Friday with our own Eric Mickles as Frank Smith. Michael and Eric are reprising roles they played on stage in Houghton College's 2010 production of Dragnet, directed by Nick Gunning. Now please sit back and enjoy the show. Don't change that dial. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you're about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to forgery detail. The forger's been hitting the merchant in your city. From the M.O. she uses, you know she's an expert. You've got her description. Your job? Get her. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you'll travel step-by-step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Wednesday, February 6th. It was cool in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of forgery detail. My partner's Frank Smith. The boss is Captain Welsh. My name's Friday. I was on my way back from the forgery office, and it was 10.22 a.m. when I got to the mug room. I'm sure about it, officer. If I ever see that woman again, I'll know her. Don't you have any doubt about it? I'll know her. Yes, ma'am. If you look through this book... Have you seen anyone who might be the woman, Mrs. Parkinson? No, not yet, Sergeant. But if she's got her picture in here, I'll find it for you. Never forget a face. So sweet and kindly. Sort of reminded me of my mother. Rest her soul. Guess that's why I cashed the check for her. Never would have done it if there wasn't something like that. Yes, ma'am. Wonder if you'd mind running over it again for us. Might have been something you forgot. Oh, no, no. I wouldn't forget anything about her. But I can tell you about it if you'd like. All right, Mrs. Parkinson. If you tell us from the beginning. Fine. Uh, Would you mind calling me Ethel? I don't much care for formality. Feel better when people call me by my given name. Surely, ma'am. If you'd go ahead. Well, this morning's when I found out about it. Like to keel right over when that check came back from the bank. Opened up the other mail, mostly from other people who want to sell me things for the store. And there it was. The letter from the bank with the check inside. It was stapled to one of those forms. You know, the kind with that just check with a pencil? Uh-huh. Well, like I said, there it was. Place that was checked said the account was unknown. Well, you could just bet I got on the phone and called the bank people. Yes, ma'am. 
I told them they'd made some sort of mistake, that they'd better set it right. I was so sure that she wouldn't do a thing like this. Well, you know how banks are. They said they'd check it for me, and I waited on the phone while they did. Then they said it wasn't a mistake. Well, you can just bet I was hopping mad. Uh-huh. Uh, what kind of identification did the woman use to get you to cash the check? Well, she had several letters from her son. At least that's who she said they were from. I just bet she hasn't even got a son. No, sir, bet she hasn't. Do you usually cash checks with that little identification? No, I don't as a rule. Usually ask for a driver's license, then a social security card. I figure that if a person's got one of those, that means he's working. Figures that the check is good. That's not always true, ma'am. Don't I know it now. You just bet I do. Last time I'll cash a check for anyone that I haven't known for ten years. I think even then I'll go to the bank and cash it with them in tow. Have you seen this woman around your store before this time? I've been trying to think about that. The shop isn't very big, but we do pretty good business. Sometimes there's several people waiting. You get in a hurry, you know, you aren't really sure who you talk to. Uh, yes, ma'am. Seems to me I've seen her in the store before, but when I stop and really think about it, I'm not too sure. You know how it is? Yes, ma'am. But when you boil it right down, I don't think I have seen her before. She just has one of those faces that you figure you're sure you know. Looked like such a lovely person. Uh-huh. Uh, how old do you figure she was? Well, like I said, I guess about 62, maybe a little older, might have been 65. Not much over that, though. Such pretty hair, pure white, had it fixed in a real soft wave over her forehead. Old-fashioned, kind of. Wore it in a bun, you know. Ma'am? A bun. Had the hair all rolled up and then pinned in the back here, at the back of the neck. Looks so nice to see a woman act and look her age. So many of them try to look younger, you know? Yes, ma'am. How about her clothes? Oh, well, she was well-dressed. She had sort of a teal blue suit on and a black coat. Looked like it might have been cashmere. Looked real nice. Little string gloves and all. You said she was a little woman, that right? Yes, she was little. Stood real straight, you know, shoulders back. But she was a little one, not more than five foot one, maybe two. Uh-huh. Was she slight or heavy? Beg pardon? How much would you say that she weighed? Oh, uh, well, maybe a hundred pounds. I'd say she wasn't much heavier than that. No, sir. A hundred pounds. Was there anything unusual about her? Anything that might make her stand out? No, no, I don't think so. Except, well, maybe it was the perfume. Ma'am? The perfume. You know how you kind of expect a little old lady to wear something kind of mild, like violet, maybe? Something light? Yes, ma'am. Well, she had real heavy perfume on. Smelled kind of like a French scent. Real heavy, like I said. It was the one thing I couldn't figure out. What's that, ma'am? Well, she did have nice clothes and all, but all in all, she didn't look like she had a lot of money. Just moderate, you know. Yes, ma'am. Well, that perfume must have been expensive. Must have cost a lot. Well, she's making enough to afford it, ma'am. 10.34 a.m. What about this lady? Mrs. Parkinson continued to look through the mud books. She was unable to identify the woman who had passed the bad check. How about this? The merchants of the city had been victimized for the past three weeks by a forger, all of them described as a kindly old lady, using letters from her son in the East as identification. Frank and I had run the description we'd gotten through R&I with no result. The stats office had made several runs on the MO, and all leads furnished by them had been checked out, but they led us nowhere. We obtained copies of the forged checks, and they'd been checked by Don Meyer in handwriting, but he'd been unable to offer us any new information. The names on each of the checks were different. We checked 
each of them out, but the leads went nowhere. All of the stores in the central area had been alerted. Descriptions had been distributed to the neighborhood of merchants, but the check passing continued. We checked with our informants, but they failed to come up with any information. Two weeks passed. The woman hit 12 more times. Her take was estimated to be over $2,500. The checks she passed were always for the same amount, $50. When it seemed necessary, she would purchase merchandise in order to cash the check. The articles she chose were in a price range so that the store owner would often catch the check rather than lose the sale. Thursday, February 21st, 8.34 a.m. Frank and I got back to the office. I'll get it. Forgery. Friday. Yeah? All right. Where? How soon? Right. We'll see you there. What is it? Harry Allison. Informant? Yeah. Says he wants to see us right away. Yeah? Says he knows the woman we're looking for. The working detective knows that he's only as good as his informants. Quite often, when all other means of bringing a case to a successful conclusion have failed, the only thing that will break it is information supplied by an informant. Because of the fact that most of them are either thieves themselves or associates of thieves, they can usually be relied on to come up with something on a case. A good detective will go to any lengths to protect him. For as long as the informant can operate, the detective is assured of a steady flow of information. 9.45 a.m. Frank and I drove over to the coffee shop at the corner of Crawford and Spring Streets. Harry Allison wasn't there when we arrived. We sat down and ordered a cup of coffee. Boy, that's good. Hot. Yeah. Hey, pass the sugar, will you, Joe? Yeah, here you go. I like a lot of sugar. Yeah, I've noticed. Faye's always calling me down for it. Says my teeth are gonna fall out someday from all the sugar I eat. Yeah. Wonder where Allison is. What time you say he'd be here? 9.45. Uh, it's only a couple minutes past that now. He'll be here. Yeah. Wonder how right his story is. What'd he tell you on the phone? Nothing. Just that he knew who we were looking for. Said if we'd meet him here, he'd fill us in. Here he is. Ah. Hi, Friday, Smith. Harry, sit down. Yeah, sorry I'm late. Got hung up in traffic. You got a car now, Harry? No, missed my streetcar. Had to wait for another. Say, you guys had breakfast yet? Yeah, earlier. You mind if I have something to eat? No, go ahead. Where's the waitress? Was here a minute ago. Don't see her now. I'll go get it myself. Sure you guys don't want anything to eat? No, thanks just the same, Harry. Okay. I'll be right back. Here we go again. Yeah. Last time we met him, he ate a meal that ran two and a half. How much money you got, Joe? A couple of bucks. How you fix? Not much better. Well, let's hope that he doesn't order too much. I bought some more coffee for you guys. No thanks, Harry. Joe will be up in a minute. How about this information, Harry? About the paper hanger? Oh, yeah. Funny the way I got it. That right? Yeah, I was up in Jack's bar last night, you know, just having a beer, shooting the breeze. But all of a sudden, this old broad comes into the place. Kind of set everybody back on their heels, looks so nice. Yeah, go on. Well, she slides up on one of the stools and orders a drink. Even Jack was taken in, changed his apron and all. Anyway, she climbs up onto the stool and orders some sherry, made a big thing of it. How do you mean? Well, Jack started to pour some of it for her, and she stopped him. Said that she wanted California sherry. Said that she didn't want any imported stuff. Said that her family was one of the first ones in the state, and that she believed in using homegrown products. She was kind of cute about it. 
Real little broads, perched up on that stool. Looked a little like a cartoon, you know, the ones with the little old lady guzzling martinis. Yeah. Say, hold on a minute, will you? My food's ready. Be right back. It takes him five hours to get a point over. Nothing you can do about it. He's got to tell it his way. So so. Nothing like a big breakfast. I always say that if you stoke up in the morning, you got it made for the day. Yeah. Farm breakfast, they call this. Tell ya, that's eat. Boy, look at all that sausage, fried real good. I like it when it's like a rock. Can't stand pork that hasn't been cooked enough. Yeah, you want to get on with the story? Yeah, but you don't mind if I eat, do you? Got a big day today. A lot of things to do. No, go right ahead. Uh, Like I said, this old broad ordered the sherry. Well, the time went on and she must have had three or four of them. Yeah. A couple of other guys came in and I moved over to make room for her. Ended up sitting right next to the woman. Say, pass the ketchup, will ya? Yeah, here you go. Eggs are much good without a lot of ketchup. Gives them real flavor. Yeah, go ahead, huh, Harry? Well, first off, I noticed this perfume this broad is wearing. Well, now I tell you, it's been a long time since I smelled anything like that really heavy, like the stuff they sell in France. Yeah. Didn't fit the woman. No, sir, didn't seem to go with the rest of her. I tried to strike up a conversation, you know, talked about the weather, stuff like that, but she wouldn't have none of it. She didn't actually tell me, but I could tell the way she answered me, you know, kind of cool. What makes you think she might be the one we're looking for? The way she looked, the way she worked. What do you mean, the way she worked? I'm getting to it. Anyway, after she's had the sherries, she reaches into her purse to pay for them, fumbles around in it for a while. Well, I couldn't help seeing what was in it, you know, with, with sitting right next to her and all. Yeah. Well, she don't come up with any money. And then she starts going through her pockets. Still can't find any money. Finally, she asks Jack. That's the bartender. Yeah, Jack. He owns the place. She she asks him if he'll cash a check. Yeah. Well, now I ask ya. Either one of you know Jack? No, don't think so. No, I don't. Well, Jack wouldn't cash a check for the treasure of the country. Not even if he had the president to vouch for him. Been stung too many times. Uh-huh. Well, this old broad gets to him. I can see him start to go. He kind of hems and haws around, and all the time he's trying to figure out a nice way to say no to her. Finally, he just ups and says it. Uh, Right after, he kind of waits and expects her to tell him off for being so mean to somebody like her. But she doesn't. Just kind of hunches her shoulders and then starts digging in her purse again. Takes everything out. Puts it on the bar. Yeah? Well, it happens that her driver's license is laying on the bar right in front of me. I couldn't help but read it, you know? Yeah, we know. Well, I saw her name. And I asked her if she'd let me buy the wine for her. Uh-huh. What did she say? Well, when I called her by name, she acted kind of startled, like she didn't expect it. And she kind of smiled and said that she was financially embarrassed at the moment. Something about coming away from the house without any money. But she said that she thought it'd be very sweet of me if i take care of the tab. So I, I paid Jack the money, and then I asked her if she'd like another one. She said that she didn't think so, and then she got all her stuff together and, and put it back into her purse and thanks me. And she got up and left. Yeah? Well, what was the name on the driver's license? You remember it? Yeah. I've got it written down here someplace. After she left, Jack and me got to talking about it. And then it hit me that she might be the one you're looking for. So I jotted down the name. You ever seen this woman before, Harry? Nope, never laid eyes on her before she walked into Jack's last night. Here it is. That's the name at the top of the paper, right under. It's her address. 
The name on the piece of paper was Lillian Holstead, a new name in the case. It gave an address out in Bel Air. Frank and I called the name into R&I, but they had no record on anyone answering that description. We paid the check and thanked Harry Allison for the information. Then we drove out to the address. It was a large house just off Sunset Boulevard. Mrs. Holstead wasn't in, but the maid told us that we'd find her husband at the Holstead School of Dramatic Arts. She gave us the address, and Frank and I drove out to the school. It was located in a large, modern building on Wilshire. When we got there, Mr. Holstead was working with the advanced class in the drama section. We took a seat at the rear of the auditorium and waited for him to finish. If you are doing a count, you must be a count. You must learn to live like a count. Your actions must be those of a count. When you do Juliet, you must be Juliet. You must understand her. Understand her, not just the way she might look, the way she might react to one specific situation, but you must know how she'll react to any given situation at any given time. In short, don't act. Live. All right, that's enough for today. Mr. Miles will be ready for the makeup class by the time you get there. Sorry to have kept you over time. You, Mr. Halston, there are some police officers here to see you. To see me? Yes, sir. Tell them that I'll be along presently, will you? Right away, sir. Mr. Halstead will be right with you. You gentlemen wish to see me? Yes, sir. You're Mr. Holstead? That's right. Police officer, sir. This is my partner, Frank Smith. My name's Friday. How do you do? What is it you'd like to see me about? Can you tell me where your wife is, sir? Lillian? She's out of town. Why? What do you want with her? Could you describe her for us, sir? Certainly. I don't understand what this is all about, though. Just a routine investigation, sir. Routine? What's that mean? Just that we're conducting an investigation, and a woman with the same name as your wife comes up. We're just checking it out. Now, if you could give us a description of your wife. Well, uh, let's see. Lillian's 36. I'd say she's five, six and a half. Weighs maybe 130. What color is her hair, Mr. Holstead? Before she left, it was sort of an auburn. Lillian said something about dyeing it red. Might have done it since she's been gone. Where is your wife now, sir? She's back in Washington. They're holding a drama festival, and she's back there looking it over. Do you have a picture of your wife here, Mr. Holstead? Uh, yes, I have one on my desk in the office. Wonder if we could see it. Surely, we can go out this way. Tell me what this investigation you're working on is all about. Not right now. Uh-huh. Cloak and dagger stuff, huh? No, sir, it's not exactly that. Here's the picture. Lovely woman. Been a great help here at the school. Yes, sir. How long ago was this picture taken? A couple months ago. How long has your wife been out of town? A week or ten days. Something like that. Uh-huh. Your wife drive a car, Mr. Holstead? Yes, sir, she does. Oh, I get it now. You're here about the license. Sir? Lillian's driver's license. That's what you're here about, isn't it? I don't understand, sir. Oh, now, you don't have to be cagey with me. Lillian lost her driver's license some time ago. Asked me to get her a new one. I didn't quite get a chance to do it. You found it. That's what it is, isn't it? No, sir. We think your wife's license has been used as identification by a check forger. Do you know where your wife might have lost the license? No, we don't know exactly. It must have been about three months ago. She says she dropped it here at the school, but I've looked all over for it. Haven't been able to find it. 
I think she just left it someplace. She's awfully careless about things like that. Yes, sir. Well, thank you very much, sir. Is this about that old woman that's been forging the checks? Why do you ask that, sir? Well, that's another thing I've been meaning to call you about. I was reading the paper one night, and all of a sudden, it hit me. Sir? Well, I could be wrong, but I think I know the girl who's doing this. p.m. We ran the name Bert Holstead through R&I, but got no make on anyone answering his description. Holstead told us that he thought we might be looking for a girl he identified as Peggy Small. He told us that the small girl had enrolled in the dramatic school over a year before. We asked him if he had a picture of her we could have, and he told us that he thought there was one in the files. He took us down the hall to the registration office and checked the files. He located a picture of the girl and handed it to Frank. Just why do you think this might be the girl we're looking for, Mr. Holstead? Well, it's the funniest thing, officer. Peggy, that's Miss Small. Yes, sir. Well, Peggy came to us about a year ago, like I said. She came out here to the coast from some little town in Idaho, I think it was. I had to check her entrance application to be sure, but... I think it was Idaho. Yes, sir. Well, right away, I knew this girl had talent. Real talent. Deep down, talent. Right off the bat, she had the feel. Would have been a fine character actress. Why do you say would have? She didn't want to work. Wasn't interested in anything but learning how to be an old woman. Sir? All she was interested in was learning how to act like a little old woman. We have a theory here at Holstead. Don't act. Live. She did just that. Learned the makeup problems, dress, walk, everything. She even used to practice writing like a woman of 60 or so. I used to see her practicing by the hour. Did she ever give you any reason for this? No. I asked her once, but she said this was the way she wanted it. I thought that she was trying to tell me to keep my nose out of her affairs in a nice way, so I didn't ask her again. Uh Uh-huh. We have a presentation here, you know, each term. The class presents a play that has been written and produced by the students themselves. Peggy would always do the oldest female part in them. Never was interested in anything else. She had several good offers, but for some reason she didn't take them. What do you mean, sir? Well, one night, a talent scout from one of the majors came out to see our play. He was quite impressed with Peggy. Talked to me after the play and wanted to meet her. He thought she really was an elderly woman. I told him that Peggy was only 23, and I don't think that he believed me until he saw her without makeup. Even then, I don't think he was really sure. Uh Uh-huh. Offered her a term contract. Good money. She'd have done well, but she wasn't interested. Can't understand it. Do you know where she is now? No, I haven't seen Peggy since she left here. That was about four months ago. wonder if you could tell us where she lived when she was enrolled here. Certainly. I have the address on her enrollment card. I'd like to have the names and addresses of any of her close friends, too, sir, if we could. Certainly. Glad to help. Uh, you think it could be her? Peggy, the woman you're looking for? Might be, yes, sir. Funny. I got to thinking about it when I read about it in the papers. Right away, it made me think of Peggy, how she used to talk about acting. What's that, sir? She used to always say there was only one reason for doing anything, and that was to come out on it. But the trouble with most people was that they didn't know where they wanted to end up, but that she knew where she was going. If she's the one we're looking for, we know too. 3.12 p.m. We got Peggy Small's address from Mr. Holstead and then went back to the office. We ran the name through R&I, but there was no record on the girl. 4.02 p.m. Frank and I drove out to the last known address of the small girl. It was a boarding house on 92nd Street. 
Peggy Small was not in, but the landlady told us she usually well, didn't get back from work until 7 or 7.30. We asked if she knew where the girl worked, but she told us that she didn't. We arranged for a stakeout on the house, and at 4.37 p.m., we checked back into the office. Want to check the book? Right. Anything? No. Call from Faye. Wants to know if he'll be home for dinner. So better give her a call. She's getting a little hacked at me. That so? Yeah, last three nights she waited dinner for me and then I didn't make it. Hello, honey. Yeah. I don't know yet. Yeah, I think so. Uh-huh. I know, I know. Yeah. Maybe another hour or so. Yeah, okay. Right. Goodbye. Uh, I don't make it tonight, and she's going to kill me. I'll get it. Forgery, Friday. Yes, ma'am? What's that address again? All right. Yes, ma'am. We'll be right there. Better order a casket. Huh? Dry goods store out on Main. Forger's there now. In the process of the investigation, the police department had alerted the merchants throughout the city to the method of operation of the woman forger. Thousands of printed circulars had been distributed bearing her description. An artist's conception of the woman had been published in the daily papers, and the drawing had also been broadcast over the local television station. The clerk in the store we'd gotten the call from had noticed the similarity between a woman waiting to cash a check and the description. From the information we'd gotten on the hotshot, the woman was waiting for an authorization for the check. When Frank and I got to the store, we met a small elderly woman. She produced identification in the form of a driver's license, bearing the name Lillian Holstead. Frank and I asked her to go with us to City Hall for questioning. A policewoman was called, and the interrogation started. I want you gentlemen to know that I resent the implication you're making. The idea, trying to make me out to be a vicious criminal. Ma'am, we're not trying to embarrass you. We just want to get to the truth. I'm giving you that. I'm telling you what you want to know. All right, ma'am. Let's go over it again. What's your name? Lillian Holstead. Is this your driver's license? Yes, it is. And the thumbprint on it should be yours, too. That right? I'd imagine so, yes. Then suppose we go down the hall and take your fingerprints and compare it. Look here, young man. I know my rights. You're not dealing with some little schoolgirl this time. I've lived a long time, and I know just exactly what you can and what you can't do. I know, for instance, that you can't take my fingerprints unless you want to arrest me for something. If you want to make a fool out of yourself to that extent, then you go right ahead and do it. And mark this well, young man. I'll sue you for every nickel you own. I'll let the papers know about this. They'd love to know how you treat old women. They'd just love to know. Have you been mistreated in any way, ma'am? No, and I don't intend to be. There's a man on the way down here, ma'am. man by the name of Holstead. Wife's name is Lillian Holstead. That driver's license we found in your purse, the one you claim is yours, is registered to his wife. He's coming down here to tell us that you aren't his wife that you stole the license, that you were a student in his dramatic school. Now, why don't you save all of us a lot of trouble? Why don't you admit that you're the woman we're looking for, that you're Peggy Small? Miss Small, 
All right, I lose. I guess I should have known. You mind if I take this wig off? Kind of warm in here. Go right ahead, ma'am. Good racket while it lasted. Crummy driver's license. I was doing all right, as long as I used the letters. They should have been good enough for me. Should have known. What did you do with the money, Miss Small? I've got it all. Every last nickel of it. Almost had enough, too. Enough for what? To leave this lousy town. Get out of here. Go back east. New York. Couple more pieces of paper, and I'd have had it made. Could have left. Almost showed them. Showed them good. Ma'am? Phony town. Months I pounded on doors, talking to agents, casting directors, talking to anybody who'd listen to me, trying to get a job, trying to get a break in pictures. None of them would talk to me. They wouldn't even see me, phony town. Yes, ma'am. They wanted character women. Didn't want any young women. Character women. That's what they wanted. Well, I gotta be the best of them. They didn't want me the way I am. I wouldn't work any other way. None. Had you fooled, didn't I? Had the whole town fooled. All of them, phony place. I was going back east, back to New York. They know talent back there. They recognize it. They know whether you're real there or whether you're just a phony. They know it there. We know it here too, ma'am. Let's go. The story you have just heard was true. The names were changed to protect the innocent. On June 19th, trial was held at Department 89, Superior Court of the State of California in and for the County of Los Angeles. In a moment, the results of that trial. Peggy Janice Small was tried and convicted of forgery in 10 counts. She was sentenced to the State Penitentiary for Women at Tehachapi, California for the term prescribed by law. Forgery is punishable by imprisonment for a period of from 1 to 14 years in the State Penitentiary. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of the Chief of Police, W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Technical advisors, Captain Jack Donahue, Sergeant Marty Wynn, Sergeant Vance Brasher. Heard tonight were Jessica Weischek as Holstead's assistant, Stephen Van Valkenburg as Bert Holstead, Hillary Young as Ethel Parkinson, Ben Lehman as Harry Allison, Kendra Andrews as Peggy Small, Eric Mickles as Frank Smith, and Michael Blankenship as Joe Friday. Script by John Robinson, music by Walter Schumann, Nick Gunning speaking. Thanks for tuning in to this special production of Dragnet, The Big Small. To find out more about the David A. Howe Public Library, find us online at davidahowlibrary.org or Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a great evening.